This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Furminger. My mission is to pull back the curtain on Vancouver's film and television industry and expose its beating heart, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom style, by getting deep and down and a little dirty with the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. Today, I am delighted to welcome Christian Sloan to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. I first met Christian on May 27th, 2017 at the 2017 Leo Awards. He was there to present an award and I was there as media and we ended up sitting next to each other during the banquet. He was platinum blonde at the time, which I would later learn was because he was filming a fun role on Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. And because my daughter was super into the similarly platinum blonde Draco Malfoy, I asked Christian if he'd be cool taking a picture with me, which he was, and he did, and the next morning, my daughter thought I was the coolest ever for having shared space with someone who was clearly a member of Draco Malfoy's Slytherin family. I'd never met Christian before that night. I wasn't familiar with his work. Or so I thought. Because what I didn't realize until a few weeks later was that Christian was one of the stars of one of my all-time favorite podcasts. He voiced Dr. Richard Strand, a brooding, brilliant, and charismatic paranormal investigator who purported not to believe in anything paranormal on the juggernaut hit podcast, The Black Tapes, which ran for three seasons and was like a cross between X-Files and Serial. I can't believe I didn't make the connection between the person next to me on May 27, 2017 and Strand because, as podcaster Rebecca Lavoie recently tweeted at Black Tape's co-creator Paul Bay, no one has ever looked like his voice as much as this guy. (laughs) Since I made that connection, I'm slow on the uptake, I know, I've delighted in watching Dr. Strand. I mean, Christian Sloan, do his thing on screen. I loved watching him living his best life as Lord Triangle Bad Evil on Dirk Gently. I loved watching him bring the creepy to his criminally short guest turn on Riverdale. He's stolen scenes in The Murders, MechX4, Hell on Wheels, The Hundred, and Critters A New Binge. And the last couple of weeks, I've taken delight in watching him bring his special brooding charisma to see. The Apple Plus series takes place in a dystopian future where the human race has lost the sense of sight and society has had to find new ways to interact, build, hunt, and survive. All of that is challenged when a set of twins is born with sight. So today we're going to talk about the man behind the brooding charisma. We're going to talk about Dr. Strand and Witchfinder Ayura, and maybe even Lord Triangle and getting bludgeoned to death by Betty's sketchy brother. We're going to find out where he comes from and how we got from there to here. And I'm finally going to have a proper conversation with my table mate from May 27th, 2017. Christian Sloan, welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Thank you for having me. <laughs> do you remember that interaction? I do yeah. very well to remember that. Now you remember. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I was like, I oh, we've met before. I said that before we started recording, and you look like, what? what but did I, what? So <laughs> let's have that conversation we had back in 2017. So I will say, though, like back in 2017, must have been 2017, maybe even 
a little bit more recently, there was not like there, the black tapes kind of operated in this gray zone where people did not know if it was real or not. Like there was a lot of talk that, you know, uh, Terry Miles, you know, was uh, like who's one of the co-creators uh, was the cousin of one of the producers in the in the show. Right. And yet it's like, no, I'm pretty sure they're the same person. So you it wasn't like you were out and about talking all the time that, oh, I'm Dr. Richard Strand. On, uh, yeah. So tell me a little bit about about your adventures <laughs> in narrative podcasting and and some of the joys and challenges you faced voicing Dr. Strand, who I'll admit I've listened to the entire series many times. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, I, it was a joy. It was an absolute joy. Uh, I knew Terry Miles uh, through a small little indie horror film called Even Lambs Have Teeth. And oh my God, what a great title. Oh yeah, that's phenomenal. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's actually available on Amazon. And it's a very unusual, we shot it for nothing, but it's got a great concept. It's just sort of typical grindhouse horror. Yeah. Um, but Terry had a sensibility that was really beautiful and he really knew how to tell the story without being exploitive yeah. uh, to the women in the cast. And uh, it was just really exciting as well. My character is uh, a rather unsavory character. <laughs> Definitely sort of the most <laughs> creepy and unsavory. And I had one of the best deaths in the in the film for oh, sure. Oh man, I have, have I'm having a harder and harder time watching people that I know die on screen. So thank you very, for that kind of warning. <laughs> I have a very solid <laughs> Sean Bean death reel. I die wow. quite, a, quite often in most of the projects. That's I'm so doing, rad. So, That's yeah. great. Like I, I was watching a C this morning, and mm. spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't watched. I mean, we'll talk a lot about C, but watching mm -hmm. Alex Ponovic's death was oh was on one hand I'm like that's horrifying, and on the other hand I'm like that's like. I've watched Alex die a lot. Like that's a pretty damn cool way to go with the sword just jammed down his throat. Yeah. Okay, oh. you can listen again, people who want to avoid spoilers yeah. about about C. Spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, Ponovic and Ponovic's so great too. Like I think he may have mentioned to you, but he literally like when he went in for the makeup, he was like, "Tape my nose to the side. Let's tape my nose to the side." Because <laughs> at first I'm like, "Holy crap, is that Alex Ponovic?" What? That's madness. Yeah. But, you know, the mouth breathing. And again, there's a fellow who I greatly admire his commitment to storytelling. Yeah. To transcending the character. Like, I admire the hell well, out of Well, he's a guy. lovely human he as well. He human. does. And I'm, I'm, I'm so happy for him right now. But what I find interesting, though, about what you said about playing a Dr. Strand, and I have to say Dr. Strand, because oh, yeah. when Alex starts calling him Richard later on, it's like just really <laughs> troubling to me. Um, but, you know, doc, Dr. Strand, you said it was a joy, and yet that was a character that was like, there's not a lot of joy there. No, no, for sure. <laughs> well, it was fascinating. So I'd worked with Terry before, and he would, gave me a call, and he was like, uh, we tried a couple other people for Strand. He's like, I really think you'd be a great fit. So when I rolled up, uh, we were basically in Terry's kitchen with Paul Bay, and he was like, well, just try it out see what we think, see how we feel. And he'd sent me the first script and I'd run through it and uh, and it was pretty funny. So you mentioned Indiana Jones here, Temple of Doom in the uh, yeah. opener. And so when I was sort of thinking about Dr. Strand, I was like, where does this guy live? And I sort of saw him as, uh, as Indiana. There's the scene in the original Raiders of the Lost mm -hmm. Ark where he's at the blackboard yeah. and he's explaining Tannis to everybody. <laughs> yeah. And there's just sort of a frustration that these people don't understand. Oh my God, understand. Dr. Strand just said Tannis. I mean, for a, for those <laughs> who are tuning in because they listen to all those particular podcasts, yeah. that was thrilling for them, I'm sure. <laughs> Apophenia. Whoa! <laughs> 
<laughs> if, if there's one word I get tweeted at me more than any other word out of that show. Yeah. Okay. So but, so Indiana Jones, Doctor Jones at the blackboard, yeah. and the woman with the is that the one where she has the well, there's, eye? No, there's like three business guys who show up, and 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 Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones is 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 sort of frustrated and flustered that he has to describe basic history. So he's at the blackboard and he's being very precision based, but there's also an element of uh, frustration and, and, and a flutter. Like, how are you all so stupid? Yeah. And so I'd watch that scene and I was like, I really feel like yes. this encapsulates Strand. So when I went in to talk to Terry and Bay, I was like, I want to show you this scene. Like, this is where I kind of want it to live. Yeah. And they're like, dude, we watched that this morning and that was exactly what we were thinking. Wow. So we were just sort of simpatico right from the start. You know what I what I love about um about podcasting and specifically about you know like the black tapes and and tannis and rap it's so good oh, yeah. um is the the fact that like yes on one hand it is you know it's a relatively new you know the the medium of the podcast is new and yet it's like a super old extends back decades that mm. idea of like the radio play you know like you even have like soap operas came out of radio you know radio plays right so but for you as an actor what kind of of challenges uh did you face having to act really with your with your voice well, i mean you you definitely were acting with your voice but it was also like i did the homework like i did any homework um, you know, I spent a lot of time, I had the uh, time to work with Paul and Terry and really discuss this character. And we mm-hmm. also, there was no pressure that was, we were literally sitting in people's living rooms, hashing it out. And like, so I really got to discover the character and I really like think about a lot of things. I wanted to sort of have a Bible. They let me in. They're like, I mean, they'd be sneaky bastards because they would literally <laughs> be like, they're like, ho, 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 ho. Just wait till season two. We have some reveals about Strand's background. And I'm like, well, tell me. I'm the frigging character. I got to know. Yeah. And, um, they'd sit on that stuff. They kept that like airtight. But one of the most exciting things about uh, doing a podcast like this, we decided very early on, like it was a discussion that we had. We're like, let's go War of the World style with this. Let's mm, let yeah. people not know whether this is real or fake. We'll just drop it out into the world. Let it exist. Yeah. We're not going to attach any names to it. And, and for me as an actor, it was fascinating because so often everything's attached to your image. It's almost impossible to divorce yourself from your face, uh, from, from the way people perceive you, the way you go about life, right? Like you sort of become in inextricably linked to the people you play. Yeah. And people have an, can have an opinion. You, can, you know, you look like somebody's ex-boyfriend or an asshole they knew <laughs> from 10 years ago, yeah. right? And so they are going to have strong opinions about you. Uh, the beauty about this was without my name attached to it, like this was a place where I didn't feel uh, like I went on the Reddit boards and I read the comments and, and I, and, and for me it was fascinating because people were truly reacting to the character. Mm. It was so divorced from me because we didn't ever put my name out there. Um, it was, I was such a mystery that people really got into the story. They got excited about the character. They got excited about where they were going. They did, they weren't attached to uh, preconceptions or whether you look like this or like that. I, I just want to say too, I mean, the, the joy, one of the joys of, of the Black Tape set and also Tannis is that it's so much of it is is rooted in reality you know so if you were to go like I remember listening to the first episode not knowing very much about it and they mentioned like some like mall that used to have like you know and there was like a it, it, it was like haunted grounds and I'm like oh I wonder like I 
are is there really? And then like and like the first thing that comes up is like a Wikipedia entry about that actual place. I'm like, oh, so that's real. <laughs> what else is? But you know, but the fact is though that I would have appreciated knowing that the person I was sitting next to on May 27th, 2017 <laughs> was the the artist who, who voiced this incredible character. So, you know, like, were there drawbacks at all? Or people get mad at you? Like, I'm uh, kind of mad at you now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sure, like, you know, if, uh, if we were speaking on a career level, uh, the show did blow up when we had something mm. like 80 million downloads. It was, you know, and that was the last time I talked to Paul. Um, that was probably maybe a year ago or more. Wow. So people keep discovering it and finding it. Uh, so I'm sure there would have been, uh, it could have been beneficial. Like I haven't done any long form podcast stuff since. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> sure would love to. <laughs> uh, but, you know, no, but it was a, a genre and a milieu that I would, I really loved sinking my teeth into. So it might have cost me career wise uh, by not having people know who was behind the voice well they didn't know back then yeah <laughs> but 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 I, I mean from a purely actor standpoint i mean for me like the world of social media uh, it's this weird sort of handshake that's necessary today yeah but i mean some of the best actors i mean joaquin phoenix i know nothing about his personal life yeah. so maybe he goes home and netflixes and chills all day but there's such a mystery about who that guy is he doesn't do a lot of press he's awkward kind of in his social you know yeah he, he doesn't involve that and therefore i'm much more willing to deep dive on that character whereas if i'm watching the rock uh, or um you know even uh you know, it, there's, there's there's social media personalities, Tom Cruise, right? Yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I love what they do. Those guys are charisma sh machines and yeah. they work so hard and they do phenomenal things. But at a certain point, they're movie stars. I'm not disparaging that. I think Tom Cruise has done some incredible performances. Oh yeah. Uh, but they're movie stars and so, I don't know, what always attracted to me to acting was uh, the mystery, mm. you know, to be able to see into a bunch of different characters, to yeah. play you know, a cowboy and an alien and a dystopian blind person. And, you know, I've gotten to delve through so many different genres and wear so many different looks and wear so many hats. Yeah. I mean, that's exciting to me. That's what gets my blood pumping. It's like, how does this person move? How does this person speak? Yeah. So, and I guess you also get to keep, like, something that's to yourself as well, right? You get mm -hmm. to choose, you know, what what from your own life you put out you put out there, you know, so that's always going to be something that's that you're in control of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I that's good to, I, to, to have that idea when you're going into social media, you know, to decide that like, no, I'm actually in control of what I put out there and I get to decide. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's been learning how to sort of strike a balance between uh, being because you also want to be honest and open with who you are as a person, yeah. your struggles. I think that is beneficial when you present this sort of Instagram life. And I'm definitely guilty of it. You know, like I'm not putting the moments of me like wearing one sock, sitting on a couch, <laughs> eating pizza, watching a TV show. You know, I'm not putting that moment That's a on very TV, right? specific image. So. Was that yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> um, so before we move on from Dr. Strand, uh, and I might have more to talk to you about this oh, after because yeah. I'm such a, no, I mean, even like when we're done recording, I'm like, okay, listen, I got to <laughs> talk to you about how you feel about this. And I was not happy with that. And oh my God, what'd you say with this? Well, I'm, I'm uh, happy to discuss the controversial aspects of it too. Cause I know like, I know that it wasn't necessarily a home run 
in the ending. Like okay, that's that's my main my main beef with the mm-hmm. show, you know. And when I go back and do my re-listen, like I I've listened to season one and two quite a bit, and mm-hmm. then season three, like the, when we get to at the end of it, I'm like I'm angry. What? And then I hear that like there's that last like file that's called like they know or whatever. I'm like, no. shut the fuck up. <laughs> Like what happened there, guys? I know. Oh, you're not alone. <laughs> you know, and and uh, and and I'm I, not on Reddit. I'm just yelling at uh, Dr. Strange. Yeah, just my... just yell at me. That's all good. I, I think there might be some catharsis for people. I uh, do. I do feel a bit better. Yeah. Do yeah. You? Just a little. Just a little release. I mean, I, but for me, it's also it's about the the journey as well. And like you know, I might not be happy with how it how it ended. Yeah. And by not happy, that seems to be kind of mild about how I feel about. It. But I love, I still love the the work and the journey, and I still recommend it to everybody. Well, I mean, like I, I would say to anybody listening, uh, everybody knows, everybody involved in the show knows that uh, it wasn't a, necessarily a home run. Oh, uh, so that they know of. file is like you guys also. Well, know. It, yeah, like I mean, <laughs> I, I I don't want to. Paul Bay and, and Terry Miles are the visionaries behind it. They yeah. are. And that was the thing. I think somebody was like, you know, you should continue Dr. Strand's stories. And I'm like, there's no way. Yeah. The, the level of detail, the, the level of nuance. Um, you know, I was the voice and I definitely got to inform on Dr. Strand. There were decisions I got to make that really informed who he was. Like, I definitely brought my own thing to it. But in terms of, like, the storytelling, in terms of the the – the, the depth of the numbers and, yeah. and and you know the homework that they did and what's fascinating to them I mean that is the black the tapes. world they created and yeah. the long story and everything yeah exactly yeah. so I think I think that uh, uh, it's not over yeah I think that uh, ah! that there will be uh, I mean we just had, I I had such a beautiful working experience and it's pretty funny like I did go on the Reddit and as you know, as people's reactions rolled in, I was definitely aware. I mean, I, do you have a Reddit name that you're willing? Did you participate in no, conversations, no, I just, or are you just, I just like lurked? Oh, I was yeah. just curious. Again, it was something I wouldn't. If my face was attached to it, there's going to be haters. Yeah. I don't really necessarily need to read uh, people's disparaging remarks. I definitely. This is one of the things I. I mean, I would love to delve a little more into this. I think as an actor, and I think for all actors out there, I, I think the sooner you make peace with the fact that if people are hating on you. There's probably an equal number that are loving you. Yeah. And that's how a conversation starts. You know, with uh, C as a, for instance, you know, if everybody was like, eh, five out of 10, meh, the show would sink from sight and disappear. But if you go on the IMDb page, people are like, 10 out of 10, I love this show. And then other people are like, one out of 10, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Great. A conversation is being sparked. Yeah. Or even from scene to scene. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I got feelings about C as well. <laughs> oh, I'd love to hear. But I, I, I mean, well, well I mean, we will talk about that. But I do need to ask you mm-hmm. before we move on from here, because I did promise my listeners we're going to find out where you come from. Um, but you know, so I've had the opportunity to interview uh, William B. Davis a few times uh, over the oh. years, who um, famously voiced the cigarette smoking man mm-hmm. on the X Files, and the, you know, so on the show he was this huge, you know. Um, the puppet like a master. puppet master yeah. of all sorts of conspiracies and stuff and the paranormal the man does not believe that's at all in real life and has actually gone to like paranormal conventions to be the skeptic guy he's literally like the doctor strand in a lot of ways <laughs> so i'm just curious about how closely like does doctor strand match your own views like where do you stand on paranormal activity 
I would definitely say I'm a little more open-minded. Um, I think that there's a lot that goes on that uh, we are not necessarily uh, privy to. Yeah. Uh, I think we would be foolish to think that we're uh, top of the food chain, I think. I mean, even when you think about things that are obvious that we take for granted, like if we really look at like a dog's nose, I mean, there that whole perception, again, this is something I thought a lot about when I was prepping for C. Yeah. Because, you know, with an with an you know, they're, they're seeing colors. It's a whole new world. We don't get it. We're like, look at that dumb dog sniffing a bush. But yeah. he's getting so much information from the world and it's exciting him that tail's wagging, you know. Yeah. So when you look at like just a whole different way to perceive the world there, then we're going to be uh, we're foolish to think that just with our eyes or just the way we view this world, that this is it. This is what we see. There's so much going on in other spectrums. I, I mean, I, I would definitely say I'm not nearly the skeptic that uh, Dr. Strand is. Yeah. But it was a lot of fun to play someone who's <laughs> no, that's ridiculous. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. A little uh, he doth protest too much. Oh, yes. And that's the thing. And, and that's as the story uh, opened up, that was definitely something that we began to explore as well and that's the thing i've uh you know i don't i don't want to ever throw uh terry and paul under the bus because they were uh phenomenal creator they are phenomenal creators oh my gosh paul Paul, Paul has the new the new uh marvels project as well that that is they just i'm I'm not sure when we're releasing this episode but they just dropped trailer on like every single podcast that I listen to and it's amazing yeah. you know and then Tannis is, is still going and it's got such a wonderful dense mythology and I, I fucking love Tannis oh man yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing like Terry's mind is like this labyrinth of yeah. of of of, of, of beautiful crazy ideas yeah. I mean uh, how do you touch that and Paul has just such a great sensibility I like I say like I can't talk enough about this show because yeah. to we literally sat in our sock feet in the living room and then sometimes we'd be like let's go outside like there was the, the amount of creative freedom to tell that story and to involve ourselves in the world we'd yeah. be like the scene should happen outside let's hey, let's go outside so you recorded outside yeah so, so certain scenes we would go hey let's go find some like leaves we can crunch through and just have that cool there uh, I thought for, that was all like sound design after the fact and granted the no. soundscape is gorgeous oh, yeah. you know yeah. for the, all those all of those shows but wow that's the first, that's the, neat to know yeah the first three or four episodes I actually wore a three-piece suit uh, to record I just wanted to have that spine like I yeah. wanted to you know as I was discovering the character I wanted to feel that rigidity you know that sort of locked in and then as the as we progress and um, as things happen uh, you know uh, with Lori uh, we I want I don't know to, who that is do you mean Alex Regan yeah sorry my bad my bad sorry <laughs> <laughs> yes Alex Regan um, yeah no I loved but I loved like the beats the things that would happen like even just you know the first time uh, when uh, Dr. Strand calls her Alex you know and there was such a you know you could just see the stands <laughs> and the you know the shippers kind of just blow up you know yeah and, I saw some artwork recently oh like the pe- fans yeah. the artwork like if I if this is an opportunity if anyone's listening to this from the black tapes I we love you the work that you've put in the investment in the story my heart goes out to you I am so glad that I got to be a small part of the storytelling that people got to dive into and enjoy and I promise you, this is not the end. Oh, yay. Okay. <laughs> was, and I'll just, I will say, it was really funny when you called before and you're like, hello, this is Christian Sloan. I'm like, yeah, it is. Because like, it was like getting a call from Dr. Strand. It was hilarious. So where do you come from? Um, originally, 
<laughs> Usually I, I do pull up the DeLorean or your time travel vehicle of choice and, mm-hmm. and we can go like, I just, I want to meet like, like, who are you and where did you come from and how did we get here? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I originally grew up in Victoria, B.C., Okay. Uh, I was uh, definitely like a, a big feeling the little kid. I was uh, born in 74 and, uh, uh, you know, sort of grew up in Victoria through the 70s and 80s. Um, my first movie was Superman. Mm. And, uh, we have Superman I, yeah, I right there on right the there. shelf. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then my second movie was Star Wars. Yeah. And that cemented everything for me. New once, Hope. Yeah, oh, yeah. In the theater. In the theater. I was four years old. Wow. Oh, what yeah. a formative experience that must have uh, yeah. to see it. And did you know when you were watching uh, episode four? Yeah. Oh, I knew that, that was that was well, it was 78 because it would have been the re-release. Yeah. Because uh, Superman came, Star Wars came out in 77 and then they did a re-release in yeah. 78. So I saw Superman first and was like, oh, a man can fly. Yeah. You know, and then saw Star Wars and I was like, done. Yeah. That's it. Did you watch I, the Star Wars Christmas special? When it, have you seen that? I watch it every year because it's on YouTube. You? How yeah. do you subject yourself to that pain? Um, that is that is phenomenal. Drinking game. Yeah, uh, it must be. It's awful <laughs> and amazing. Like, it's astonishing. I just bad. wish that I'd had the, so one of the podcasts I listened to is Stuff You Should Know, and they did a, an episode that's all about the the kind of the the reasoning behind this, this variety show version of Star Wars that starred like B. Arthur and Oh Grace God. Jones and then and then the Star Wars cast yeah. and uh, it's it's amazing you know to hear about like because George Lucas doesn't even want to acknowledge it anymore and, and I'm and he shouldn't I and he shouldn't but also <laughs> like own it own the stuff that's that you've done that's super wrong but did you watch that live <laughs> oh I, maybe I probably begged my parents to I think I remember. I remember like, because it never aired again and I remember yeah. having dreams about like Wookiee families and stuff yeah. and I was like that's never been canon how do I know you know and yeah. then thank God for YouTube oh god and there's whoever has posted it to YouTube it is such a crystal clear like print it must be from like one of the the stations that aired it because yeah. it's like it's you get you see like there's there's a whole the like yeah because it's glory. about like um uh, Chewie needs to get back to his planet of Kashyyyk to celebrate Life, Life Day, Day with his family, <laughs> and uh, and I mean there it's there's like Granddad Chewbacca is like watching softcore porn, yep. and then it all ends with like Carrie Fisher looking stoned out of her mind, like singing a song. Harrison Ford embarrassed to be there. You could just tell from the oh very fr- from the very first moment. So I just I you know because I was born. Born in '79, so um, I, my first experience with the films was my beloved and well-worn VHS mm. tapes, and and uh, yeah, I just think it would be would have been really neat and cool to experience the oh Star God. Wars Christmas special. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm sure I did, and like I say, holy cow, like. I've never seen any actors half-ass it so badly. Like they just know they're like, oh god, I gotta try. Like Harrison Ford being like, what's that, Chewie? And he yeah. just like he's just like he's like, God damn, I wish I was home on my yeah. couch. Like what I am quit I doing? carpentry for this. <laughs> so but so you watch Superman and you watch Star Wars and you're on the eye. Like, did you grow up like did you see that and be like, Okay, I wanna do that? Yes. You know, you did. And did yeah. it, was it that you wanted to like live in a story or was it that you wanted to be an actor? I uh an actor. At, at that age I wanted to live in the story. Yeah. Um we, I I was very fortunate uh, where I grew up. I, 
I grew up in Oak Bay, which uh, always seems to draw some sneers. It was very fancy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. I'm, both my folks were teachers. Yeah. It wasn't like we were living some opulent lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, but you it's know, lovely. I mean, it's more like like for it's more like Deep Cove than West Vancouver, yes. right? Like yeah. it's it's oh, yeah. it's charming. It pretty much was like made for Hallmark. Yeah. Really. Yeah, true. <laughs> and I mean, it also the whole demographic has shifted so much. I mean, what's sort of happened with real estate and stuff like that? I mean, my folks bought their first house in '78 for. $47,000. Oh, my God. And then they sold that one and bought the house across the street. We lived on Dudney. And they uh, sold this and bought the second one for, I think, $60,000. Oh. And this is, I mean, this isn't like centuries ago. This was only, this is like the 80s. Oh. So, it makes know, me, makes me weep. If I want to own yeah. a place around here, the, which is even half the size of what I grew up in in, you know, suburbia, I would need millions. Yeah, I know. It's ridiculous. Millions for, for yeah. pretty much dumps. Yeah. yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. And so, so, you, so your parents were teachers, eh? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So did they did they recognize it in you? Because we've had a lot of people come in here and it'll be teachers in their lives who have been, who have recognized the artistic spirit, mm. you know, of the student to that that ends up becoming, you know, the, the various actors that, that sit in this room. What about for you? Did your parents recognize it? Uh, they recognized that I was a very creative spirit. Mm. Um, I was definitely like a very sensitive kid. I uh, had wore my feelings on my sleeve and definitely was like easy to anger, easy to uh, sorrow, easy. You know, I definitely big had those feelings. big feelings yeah. for sure. Um, as you know, my parents definitely encouraged uh, the creative side of me, definitely. Um, but they came from a generation that was, uh, you know, they're both. Irish immigrants. Um, I'm first gen Canadian. They really? both, yeah, they both came over from Belfast, and uh, Belfast. Belfast Ireland. direct to Vancouver Island. No, well, it was pretty funny. I mean, they did the sort of the, the typical tour that usually happens. They both started in Belfast. My dad moved when he was about ten or eleven. Yeah. Um, to Toronto. Okay. Uh, and then my mom. Uh, she was the baby of the family. She was expected to take care of the family. So uh, my mom is a very ballsy woman. I have uh, great respect for her. Yeah. But at 21, she's like, nope, that's not my life. And so she left Ireland and came to Toronto. My folks both met there, came out to Victoria for a uh, vacation. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what the hell? Yeah, not minus thirty five and snow up to your hips. It's interesting because you know I'm I'm from out east and I remember coming to visit the first time and it was like minus twenty five in Kingston, Ontario, where I was going to school and I flew and I flew it here and it was it was one of those like Disney February days where like the sun <laughs> is shining and and my now husband then boyfriend long distance boyfriend took me to Queen Elizabeth Park and I swear to God like birds were flying around my head and landed on my finger and I'm yep. like well this is ridiculous why do I live there. And suffer for six months of the year, and actually summers were horrible, and allergies oh, God, was horrible, yeah. and yeah. transit was horrible. When I could like live, you know, in a postcard, yeah, you know, and granted, <laughs> this has its own special set of challenges, <laughs> but which is why, like, for like, there's so many people, like most of the people you meet in Vancouver, are not from Vancouver. No, transplants. Yeah. Yeah. So you're and one of the rare people then who was born. Yeah. Out here. Yeah. Yeah. Did, was there? Was so when you were coming up then and kind of you know having those big feelings, were you aware that there was a BC film industry? Were you articulating, I want to go into that? Or? No, I just definitely lived in like a world of imagination, and my friends definitely lived that way too. Uh, you know, uh, we lived in a place like you know my I had we had a tree fort, and that was my Millennium Falcon. Yeah, and uh, we you know around the front we had uh, you know Buddy's X-wing fighter was his tree. And, you know, we built entire worlds in our neighborhood. And yeah. it's, it, again, it's something having a, 
a child having a son now, it's definitely something that's kind of lost in translation because there was definitely, you know, when I speak of parents of a different generation, you know, and I, you see it lamented on often on Facebook and everything like that. But there was, it's lamented because there was a truth to it. My parents were like, punt, come back when the streetlights come on. Yep. And so, you know, when I think about it now, like, you know, uh, by law, my son can't be anywhere without a guardian until he's 12. Yeah. More or less. Uh, and and <laughs> we had such a freedom, such a reign of our neighborhoods. Now, my parents sort of would open it up block by block. But I mean, I, I know I was five years old. I'd go over to the neighbor's house, grab one kid. We'd trot up, you know, up two houses to the next kid's house. And then we'd all truck down to the back lane, you know, yeah. and play lacrosse or play sports. And usually what we do is because we had a mix of real sporty kids and more imagination-based kids. And so we would trade off, you know, one day it would be sports and then one day it would be Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. One day it would be uh, playing uh, lacrosse. And, and you know what I mean? So we would do all these sort of trade-offs and the kids would all sort of work together. But I can't a- imagine sending, like, and I grew up like that too. And yet... I can't imagine sending my kid out, you know. I mean, even now she's turning nine and I have to be like, you have to go here and we have to have a friend and like hold her hand while I cross the street. And I don't know why it's like that. Why are we like that? I think there's benefits. Um, I definitely think by having adults around all the time, uh, you know, this is something I I, I thought we might get into too, is just a sense of community that, Mm. uh, you know, like there was a freedom for us as kids to hash it out and figure it out. Yeah. Now, by having the adults around, I think there is more of a community. Like, I think something truly got lost uh, in the way we've built society in the last 200 years. I don't necessarily, I think that there's a lot of benefits, but I also think that we have a long way to go before we truly solve it because what's happened is we've all sort of become sequestered in houses. We've all sort of gotten stuck in apartments. Yeah. And how how, how well do you know your neighbors? Now, I'm lucky the building I'm in, we actually have, I think, eight families with yeah. kids. And so I was going to say, we know, our, I, we know our neighbors too, but that's part of the lifestyle of living in a small space. Mm-hmm. And then we've lived in the same neighborhood for a long time that we actually, like, we know, like, we go outside because yes. we, like, but, but growing up in suburbia, we just stayed inside all the time. My mom, I was talking to her about it recently. She's like, yeah, it was too cold outside. <laughs> what were we going to do? Like, go and hang out? It's either too cold or too bloody hot. Yeah. You know, so you, you stay home. I, I think... There was there was a, a philosopher, God, his name escapes me, but said that like the the worst thing that ever happened to humanity was when we went from being um, you know hunter gatherers and mm-hmm. nomadic to actually like you know putting down stakes and staying in one yeah. place, you know, because it, that then we stopped uh, that like we, we then we stopped moving around and we stopped building bridges. Yeah, no, you know? and I, I I actually I've read the same. I think that was was it twenty one lessons for the twenty first century or it might have been Homo sapiens. It has a title like that. I yeah. don't I don't quite remember, but I remember being like, yeah, no, but that it, and then capitalism and yeah. oh man. Oh, I love. I mean, there's certain things I I love not freezing my ass off every night. I love not having to like search for my food every day. Uh, but I definitely think. Uh, you know, and people are starting to claw their way back again with religion, right? Like that was what we depended on for yeah. for community. And as that sort of dissipated, as people have been like, well, there's flaws there. We're really trying to figure out, you know, how do we relate to each other? How can we embrace each other? How can we like, you know, again, if, you know, if we're going to jump into C, that was one of the most beautiful things I thought about C, you know, when I was sort of doing my homework and building, yeah. looking at what the society was going to be like. Let's talk a little you know? bit before we talk about... Um about what you were just what, what you were setting up. Let's talk a bit about the setup for C. So mm-hmm. C takes place uh, 
probably like 200 years or something in the in the future it's in a dystopian future where humanity has like they super fucked up and there were so I've only three episodes in so this is what I but like there was some like the last episode I saw like everything was about to go sideways you were there on a horse like brooding like oh shit it's about to go down (laughs) Um, but you know so uh, we fucked up Uh, there was some kind of I'm assuming some kind of um, outbreak or that has to do with wait there was was it well, war? Well, it's, it's basically, it's never, uh, I would imagine they're probably sort of sitting on it. Yeah. To let it truly, to like, see what happened, discovered season two or season three. But we lost the ability, humanity lost the ability to see. We went from having billions of people to about two million people. And then what you have are like these little, like these villages, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of the, um, the raw materials that they're using are like our rubbish from mm-hmm. now. So like mm-hmm. plastic bottles. That was a, I mean, that's like a one of the storytelling devices that yep. they actually use. But, yep. you know, a lot of our, our, our t- tires, things that were made in our time, but then everybody, like no one can can see, you know, so there, I mean, it's all it's all feel, right? Yep. And so, and you you have like, so when we meet um, a Baba Voss, you know, he, he is, and Sharon Taylor, who I went hiking with recently, and I wish I had watched this before I went hiking with her, because then I wouldn't have gone hiking with her, because she's so badass she in this. She killed it She kills I'm like, whoa, phenomenal. she's way too physically fit for, for my level of going for a hike. Um, but yeah, her. they're in a, it's like a small, it's a, like maybe it's like a hundred people, it's a community, it's a village, everybody yes. is, looks after each other and stays close together and makes decisions together, you know? So I just found it fascinating that to go from seven plus billion people and then, you know, we were pared down to two million people don't have the ability, no longer have the ability to see things like, you know, books and reading and writing. Those become like we don't understand those words anymore. And what happens? So we've removed all those things. And then we go back to the community lifestyle, the village, you yeah. know, and yeah. Well, because it takes place basically like, yeah, on the, in the script, it was 600 years. Oh, it's 600 uh, years. The okay. So they, I, you know, so there's been time generationally. And when you think about it, I mean, if, uh, you know, we as humans are so specified in our jobs, you know, and so if the whole population was struck blind tomorrow, well, it probably wouldn't be that much of a call for actors. Now, can I scrounge? Can I find my food? You know, the people the people that would survive that apocalypse. Now, again, they sort of uh, alluded to something else happened and the, everyone's emerged blind. So I don't know. I can't speak to whether there's going to be more history revealed, whether mm. it's going to be sort of one of those mystery boxes that that they crack open in season two or season three. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it's a fascinating world. And, and, and I see all these comments, people being like, oh, this would never work. This has never happened. Well... You know, if you take a you know a population of seven billion, yeah, there's a whole damn reason. There's not there's not a lot of people that would be survivors, but yeah. people would scrap. People would you know figure out a way to survive. Yeah. And not you know people are like, well, how do they lose knowledge of guns? I'm like, well, how does a gun serve you yeah. in this world? If you can't aim, why would you even want a gun? Yeah. What you know, and what it what I really thought though was beautiful was like to strip away our most dominant sense. Where do we live? What do we uh, use to explore the world? And yeah. it becomes a much more sensuous world, becomes a much more world based on community. We, de- we depend on each other. The, with, within the, if we work together as a group, that is how we solve problems. That's yeah. If we can work together as a group, we can hunt. If we, you know. And that was really what humanity was built on. One man alone 
you know, it's how we got to this place for better or for worse. Yeah. It wasn't one man alone. It was everybody kind of working together as a community. Yeah. Um, and, I, and so I think I definitely like has a lot to say about where we live today and how we're approaching life today. Like, yeah. You know, what we're, we're sold a bill of goods on TV and film. And I mean, I'm certainly maybe a, a, like a part of the problem in terms of, you know, uh, you know, helping shill products and stuff. Although this face doesn't sell a lot of Doritos. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. Um, but, you know, where I, I, you know, there's just an no, but art is where our humanity lives as well. Mm, you know, like it's sure. not like like I I see that there is a there is I mean we're talking about these these huge philosophical concepts because of a TV show where a big part of it is you know you're Ass on whooping. horseback and yeah like you know <laughs> that whole scene with the slave trading and oh, you know yeah. R.I.P. you know uh, Alex Ponovic's character Spoilers. spoiler yeah you're, we're supposed to say that before but <laughs> anyway but like that was like it's 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 and yes it's action and stuff but it's like it's you know we're talking about it because of of the arts you know yes. and because we're exploring those ideas there is that is that um one of the things that that uh and we are going to come back to see you see oh, i'm yeah, trying to take no you somewhere worries, else no i know I, as you know I, you've I listened to the podcast this way yeah and, that way and you've and listened over, to the podcast this so, yeah. totally this totally has happens all the time you know but what did you what did you want like when you first started in your career what what kind of roles did you did you want to play? Well, when I was four, I wanted to be Luke Skywalker. Yes, so and did then I. <laughs> by the time I got to eight, I wanted to be Han Solo. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, like, I is think that... that's the male transition. You you know, initially you're like, I want to be that guy that figures it out and defends good, and then yeah. as time goes on, you're like, Nah, I want to be that cool, laid back. Dude. Yeah, he looks like he gets the ladies. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And he shot first. He shot he first, shot damn it. first. Stop redoing it. Go so back. Stupid. Oh, my God. Can we yeah. please just get a release of the original copies? They, I, I watched them on Disney+. Plus. They look incredible in 4K. Yeah. But, like, all that old shitty CG sticks out like a sore thumb. Please. Disney. You mean the 97 CG? Yeah. 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 No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm saying corporate, all this stuff with the models. One of the things I love about the Mandalorian yeah. is that ship isn't CG. Yeah. It's all, it's a model yeah. that they shoot. And it looks so much better. Yeah. That, and that's for me, that's what started, like my original VHS tapes. It's like, it's the original, you know, yes. 1980s releases. And it was Reasonable like, you know, pace. this was, well, it's like they're, yeah, totally. And they, they uh, shot some of it in George Lucas's swimming pool and then other stuff. <laughs> like it was mo- like it's models to like to interact and feel. So, okay. So eight yeah. years old Han Solo. Yeah. And then, and then, did you go to? Did you go to acting school? Did you go to? Did you pursue it? I, I definitely tried to education? chase it. I, 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 I definitely knew it was what I wanted. But yeah. again, I was sort of, as I was sort of starting to delve into before. My parents were of a certain generation and of a certain age, and and, and uh, immigrants. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and so you know, money and security were their top priorities. Yeah, and so I remember. I sort of kind of lost my way. I was li- living in that world of imagination, you know, all the way up to like 10 or 11, 12. And by then, I, I moved to Vancouver for a year. I moved to Richmond for a year. Mm. And it really changed who I was. Up to about grade three, um, I definitely had a group of friends. You know, the, the world felt very inviting and chill. Victoria is a very like, kind of liberal place. Yeah. And, you know, my parents were very li- like liberal in their ideas and mindset. And so, you know, there was a lot of exploration. And my parents, you know, we, we were, you know, half hour to an hour of TV a day tops. And that was included like sitting down at night watching Dukes of Hazard or Knight Rider <laughs> or you know, what have you. And 
and so I moved to uh, Richmond for my dad got a new job and so we lived in Richmond for a year and it was just it was it was such a seismic shift for me as a kid because I went from this you know chill liberal hippy dippy kind of town yeah how Victoria was to you know Steveson and uh and again Richmond was a very different place than it is today yeah and you know i'd be like we'd get out of school and i'd be like okay let's play what are we gonna play today and they'd be like are you crazy man he-man's on and then my little pony starts and then it's transformers and gi joe you know and there was a lot of latchkey kids and so they went yeah. like straight from 3 p.m straight home and watch tv and i'd be like cool and i'm on the playground playing by myself you know like i wanted to like live out that imaginary yeah. imaginary world like i love getting those stories and i love those cartoons but you know, I, I wanted to be tactile and play and let's pretend yeah. and let's do stuff. And so I was kind of like the weird kid then uh, in, in Richmond. And then, you know, and then <clears throat> my grades were better than a lot of the kids there. They moved me from the grade four. We had a split four or five. And yeah. so they moved me from the fours and sat me with the fives, which then, of course, made me like... More of a target. Yeah, person, persona non grata <laughs> yeah. with the fours and the fives. The grade fives were like, who the, who the hell is this kid? Yeah. Right? And so that year was like... I, I suddenly sort of became an outcast. Oh, and, and that's a tough age anyways, yeah, you know, yeah. like, because my daughter's turning nine next week and she's going through some stuff, yeah. you know, like you're, you're not, you're not a little kid anymore. You're not yet a, a big kid though either. And yeah. man, that's a, that's a lot to deal with. Well, it kind of, sh it shattered my perspective a little bit. And then I sort of became the outsider. And then when I moved back in grade five, all my friends had sort of, you know, moved on past me and, 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 you know, like, so I sort of had to forge a new group of friends. And because I was sort of that that big imagination kid, and also that big feeling kid, uh, I was easy to sort of get under the skin of. And so then you sort of had bullies starting to come at you. Oh. Um, and uh, it was, I mean, I, I kind of like killed that in grade seven. I remember this. I, I don't know if I'm delving too personally here. I'll, I'll keep the name out because the guy, the kid's in jail now. Um, but oh. he came, he came after me. Spoiler alert! Yeah, uh, it was it was grade seven. He'd failed twice, so he was supposed to be in grade nine. Oh, and, no. and at grade seven, we were grade seven seeded into high school, grade eight. And I remember him coming after me and jumping on me. And I remember I just sort of saw like like red hot. And I ended up on top of him, like just pounding him in the face. No, and after that, that was Ralphie in a Christmas story. <laughs> no, I'm sure. telling you, this is yeah. actually yeah. <laughs> so the teacher pulling me off and like just sort of going ballistic. And wow. after that, nobody ever messed with me physically. Yeah. But I also really learned how to like start to hide those feelings like and it was really unfortunate because you start you start going oh okay i to survive this world i can't uh, be out there i can't be emotionally available i gotta have this veneer and i think that was also where the hand solo aspect came in too because yeah. you start going okay i gotta be cool nothing affects me man like you know because it was easy for me to to get an emotion out of me to yeah. you know like i had feelings about all these things and so you know, it was in a lot of ways unfortunate that I sort of learned how to have to bottle that in, to shut it down, to like push it way down. You know, with when I have my son now, uh, you know, as an example, and I'm sure you've seen this before, uh, you know, if my kid like bursts into tears at four, you know, you can sort of see whether it's manipulation or a tactic or whether yeah. it's genuine. And if it's genuine, I just sort of put him on my lap and I let him blow it out for 30 seconds. And then yeah. he's like, ah, he feels great. Yeah. But I saw this old grandmother <clears throat> at the playground. Uh, you know, this poor kid was uh, uh, walking around and, and, and she was like, don't cry. Boys, don't cry. Oh, you don't cry. No. And for 15 minutes, this poor little boy was walking around going, 
you know, like just trying to push these emotions down. Oh, and, and that's, you know? that is like the beginnings of toxic masculinity. Yeah, and exactly. that kills. Exactly. And, that's, oh. and, so it, and not just, in the awesome way that things kill. <laughs> no, like that terrible, literally kills. Kill, in terrible the, breaking your soul away. Yeah. So I, you know, so I sort of came from that 70s, 80s generation. You know, like it's funny, like I'll throw on something for my kid. I'll be like, hey, let's watch Monster Squad. Yeah. And then suddenly they're dropping the F word and you're like, oh, cool. Let's turn that off now. <laughs> yeah. This is not what I thought it was. Yeah. Um, or what I remembered. So I, as I sort of seeked into grade eight, I definitely sort of shut down, you know, and I and I kind of lost some of that that spark because I was busy trying to assimilate into yeah. society. And also just being a new teenager as yeah. well, you know, and yeah. all the hormone changes. You know, it's hard like when you have that artistic soul coupled with just being a teenager as well. Like yeah. that's like that's a hard time. Yeah, well, I had good grades, and so my folks were sort of like lining it up. They're like, "What is it going to be? Is it going to be a lawyer? Mm-hmm. Are you going to be a doctor? Which direction, you know?" And uh, maybe a journalist. A journalist would be good. You could channel some of your creative outlets into journalism. And uh, grade twelve, I uh, grade eleven was sort of a, a messy, rebellious year. Mm. And uh, grade twelve, joined went into drama class. had had a bunch of electives and jump back into a drama class and join the school play. And I was like, this, this is my community. Yeah, I found my this people. This is my people, you yeah. know? And, and as that flowered, I was like, you know what? I, I, I had early admittance to UVic and, and my folks were like, you know, you know, do, do the creative writing. I was like, no, I really want to do the Phoenix program. I this theater, no, no, God, no. Look, anything but an actor. Do not be an actor. There is no in it, it'll, it'll never happen. Please, for the love of God, don't do it. Yeah. Do you understand and that? I do understand it. Um, I think it was uh, incredibly uh, detrimental, but I compl- I have I have no love lost for my folks. I completely yeah. understand why they were there. And, but but I, I think but it drove me in a direction. And again, I'm not trying to lay blame at my folks' feet. Yeah. You know, that you have to be able to see past this. But I mean, I, I feel like I want to share this because I know there's other kids out there who are probably going through the same thing or, or you know or even adults like you you, you know you kind of get shut down creatively for the safe path and yeah. the safe path wasn't the path I needed to take um, so you know so I, I basically went to a first year university um, and and took a couple classes at the Phoenix that I could sort of take and was like oh my god these are my people like this is what I you know but I wasn't wholly part of that community yeah uh, did my second year university and I joined the rowing team and I was like the most miserable um, I've been. I was in like incredible shape. I was out in the lake 5:30 every morning, in the yeah. gym 1:30 every afternoon. You know, studying stuff. But I, but it, there was no. That's so not my style. <laughs> but it, but I. But I, I was friends with some rowers, and yeah. they always had to leave or leave the pub early. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I was just I was you know living this life that I was wholly miserable. Yeah, but it was safe. Uh, but it was safe. Yeah. So I, at that point, I got out of second year university and just went wild and was like. I moved out of my folks' place. I moved out first when I was 18. My, we were, I think there was a lot of contentious battles. I really think that it probably would have benefited me if I had been able to embrace that creative side earlier. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and this is something I always am happy to talk about too is because, because I never felt like I fully landed with a community, um, the way for me to be social and the, for me, the way for me to connect with people ended up being booze. And so mm-hmm. when I first moved to Vancouver, I was like, I'm moving over here to be an actor. Yeah. This is what I'm going to do, you know, and got a job in a restaurant. I served for like the last two decades, three decades. And, uh, 
and you know that the community there is is alcohol based yeah and so i wasted a lot of years uh being drinking and you know being like tomorrow i'm gonna get my ass in gear tomorrow is when i make the change you know and then you wake up hungover tomorrow and you're like oh okay well maybe tomorrow will be the next day i make some change and you just sort of get into this this shitty cycle and and you know i guess part of my core being always wants to belong like you want to feel like you're with your people yeah speak sort of to the broader to, to, to make it personal when i talk about a community right and so I spent a lot of time, I wasted a lot of time um, drinking. And, uh, you know, I mean, you could argue it's not necessarily, oh, it was a wasted time. Yeah. In terms of, like, I definitely discovered who I was, and I sort of had to come out of that fire uh, with, uh, with a drive. Um, I've been sober for 11 years now. Wow. Coming up 12. So I don't begrudge anybody else who, you know, I, other people, I, I, I enjoy hanging out with people who have a couple drinks. Yeah. It's awesome. I'm always happy to go to a party and hang out. You know, once people sort of hit that five drink thing, and yeah. then you can slowly kind of ghost out of the system. But uh, um, I've, I, I've I've done that. <laughs> yeah. I've done that. You know what I what I find like, and thank you so much for for sharing that story because I know that you know that while on one hand a lot more people are talking about addiction mm-hmm. and and mental health and the special challenges especially of of having that kind of creative soul and trying to you know to work in this industry it's still really hard yeah. to do and there is something very I mean I know f- for myself to speak about my mental illness is very freeing but I also know that it's also very helpful to other people to know that they're not alone that this industry is hard, yeah. you know, and that, I mean, and off, uh, I think that explains how you feel about social media as well. Like you, cause you, <laughs> now that you own, you own that about yourself, like you want to be authentic, right? Yes, like, yes. you know, because even putting out an image of yourself that isn't true is, I mean, it's, it's can be damaging. It can yeah. be, it can be a lie. So, well, I don't want to, I don't, I would never necessarily want to like be a role model, but I would love to be able to say, Hey, you know, like, uh, um, I'm I'm working with uh, Lisa Ovies. Do you know Lisa? I know Lisa Ovies. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, so she uh, runs a, a acting school called Rogue, and so I'll come in and guest with the kids. Yeah. And, you know, I if I could help other people, or just through being as truthful as possible, if I could help other people get over the this hump faster. Yeah. You know, I do feel Benefit like, from your experience, yeah. right? Like yeah. that's, and that's a gift in and of itself, you know, because people feel very isolated, you know, and especially in, in entertainment, like, you know, how we, how, like perception is a huge thing, right? And we don't want anybody to see us being like, you know, weak, that, that idea of weakness mm-hmm. or, you know, vulnerability, but at the same time, it's so, it's freeing and it's helpful, yeah. you know? And um, we will put, I will put a link in the footnotes to uh, Call Time Mental Health. Call Time Mental Health is a multi-union working group for people who, who work in film and television in any aspect of it. Uh, uh, who require some some help getting to the next step? It's it's there was it's uh, UBCP Actra and other unions have have started this resource. So That's awesome. I will say you are not alone if this is if this is you. What kind of advice then would you would you have if you could go back and I mean I do a lot of time travel, but if you can go back <laughs> in time to to yourself when you are you know have some of your darkest days, yeah, you know. Um, 
to to spare yourself some of the some of the pain or your sense that you're losing time. Well, I don't think it's I don't think it would be any good to spare me the pain because I do think that I've gotten to this place and I'm stronger for it. Yeah. Um, I just think that you know a conversation sort of needs to be had. Again, I'm not getting preachy about alcohol, uh, um, but it's funny. I will say that uh, initially, you know, I was auditioning, I was going to class, um, but my focus was on the party that night. You know, mm-hmm. I'd be sitting in class thinking about getting to that party. Yeah. Um, and what were you, what was that the like? Were you using alcohol as a numbing agent? Uh, it was honestly, I think it it really helped me feel like I was I belonged. Yeah. You know, after sort of like that that grade four year, I never ever, and even today, I've always sort of felt a bit of an outsider. Mm. You know, like I can be a bit of an oddball, and you know, like so many in our business, right? Yeah. Um, but it's it's sort of tough, and you know, and again with social media too, it's tougher and tougher to sort of like connect with someone, look them in the eye, tell them stories, like be raw and be honest. And yeah. one of the things I loved about alcohol um, was that happened fast yeah you know you sit down have a couple of drinks with someone they start to feel loose you're vibing you're on the same frequency yeah. start telling stories that you're like oh yeah you think that's funny and let me tell you this story and and so you feel a forged connection and through alcohol you know we you would go on an adventure yeah. you know what i mean you call up your buddy the next day and be like oh my god what happened do you remember this oh do you remember this and then we did this whoa you know yeah uh, there's something missing in in, in our society to a certain degree, or I think that you as a human have to work harder. You know, when all our base needs are met, when we have a roof over our heads and we have food and stuff like that, we're like, we've covered all those base needs. You know, the soul's like, okay, what's next? What's yeah, it's next? like Maslow, the, the self-actualization hierarchy of needs, right? Yes, yeah. yes. And if you don't make peace or, or accept the things that gen- you genuinely love and work towards those, actively work towards those, it's very easy to fall into the traps of society. I think, you know, I think 500 years or 700 years from now, people will look back, you know, whether we all go blind or not. But, but if, but if, <laughs> Way but, to tie it back. I love it. But, if, but I honestly think people will look back and, uh, and really take a hard look at alcohol and the poison that it, you know, that it can be. And yeah. I, I think people will, be, will marvel at the way, you know, and I think, I think society en masse has accepted it. As a, as a core part of our uh, way. You know, it's just funny that we can look at alcohol and be like, totally normal for your parents to have like three glasses of wine. And then you're like, but opiates. Oh, my God. How yeah. dare people? You know, it's like, yeah, there are different classifications. But I, again, I, I grew up in the 80s and 90s, you know, and we had NWA rapping about smoking weed and mm-hmm. Cypress Hill and stuff like that. And people were like, it's the gateway drug. And even yeah. today there's this. And man, like when I was serving tables. I would way rather deal with a bunch of people smoking joints and then yeah. coming into the restaurant and ordering food than like six drunks ass grabbing yeah. and 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 you know what I mean and, yeah. and being hyped up like it's just funny that I that that alcohol is such a predominant part of our society right now. You know? Yeah. Wow, you know, I, I, one of the reasons I love this podcast so much is I never ever know where I'm gonna go. <laughs> so we're gonna take a break. Because we have to. We've been talking for more than an hour and we haven't taken a break. Uh, And when we come back, let's talk about some of the, um, let's talk a bit more about C. Mm. And uh, because I am assuming that there was some preparation involved in embodying a really mean character um, who who, who, uh, is vision impaired. Uh, And then also uh, let's name check some of the other characters uh, that you played, maybe that I mentioned uh, as well. Like the one that you were doing when I met you on May 27th, 2017. Oh, yes, please. All right, let's take that break. 
This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. These were the early days of Hollywood North, before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver. And Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fishflightentertainment.com. Okay, let's talk about C. You are, let me just see because I wrote it down because I don't think you've been name checked as yet in the episodes I've watched. Witchfinder Ayura. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we see you, you are on a horse. (laughs) Or when I've seen you so far, (laughs) on a horse, very blonde hair. And you go to the lounge hair studio, I do. Yeah, I saw that on your Instagram. Let's let's give a shout out to the lounge. Shout out to to Martin and Lance at the lounge hair studio. I love those guys. Um, Kelly too. Yeah, Kelly is so good with color. Oh my gosh. yeah, so, so and uh, you're on a horse and you are one of the individuals who can sense out the the heretics who are the, the people who can see. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming I haven't actually watched past episode three. <laughs> I think as, as of recording, we're at episode five. Yeah, five's so up. I'm going to go. Six, on. six drops on uh, tomorrow, which will be the 22nd. Okay, good. So I'm going to watch them all. I'm going to watch the other ones today. But... Um, I'm I'm curious about the kind of prep work that you you had to do because you know other than a few n- exceptions in the cast in in the cast of characters, everybody on the show is is doesn't they they don't have the ability to see you know and it does change the way that I mean you talk about the way that people in that reality you know behave well that means you as an actor I'm assuming have to change the way that you that that you move and that you feel. So can you tell me a little bit about the prep work and the journey that, that you went on and the stuff that you got to do on C that you haven't had the chance to do elsewhere? It was it was a phenomenal experience and I have to give great thanks to Apple for yeah. giving us the time, the preparation that was necessary and needed. Uh, when you're building a world whole cloth like this, you know, you have to delve in and we had the, we had an amazing uh, movement coach named Paradox Pollock. Yep, that's his name. And the wow. man, oh my God, like, you know, when I when I talked about uh, things that are bigger than this world, this man has an aura that I is is astonishing. Like to embrace him is just to feel pure love. The yeah. man has figured out a way to like channel his art and who he is, and it's incredible. It's a beautiful thing. Wow. So what they did is we uh, we had a basically a warehouse, and so we spent about three weeks uh, prepping. 
like movement. And, uh, and when you we say had, we, were you all together or was it yeah. more like, okay, well, we're going to have all the bad guys who look for the witches in here now. And then we're going to have the, all well, the people from Alchemy come in. Like, was it, were you guys broken up like that? Or? No, well, uh, initially we all worked together. Like Sharon, I was me and Sharon are running around chasing each other. Yeah. With, uh, <laughs> uh, Dagan Inish and, uh, um, and, uh, Bree. And so we, they would, they would sort of bring us all in together initially. But once we were on set, funnily enough, they had a tent for the alchemy mm-hmm. and they had the, a tent for the pie and we uh, we didn't mix much yeah so but <clears throat> so they got this warehouse and it was beautiful my very first day we i worked with a guy named joe Streche. uh he's listed as an exec producer on there and okay. he's a uh, person who was blind and <laughs> i the the level oh, that he can operate. Sorry, the EP, one of the the EPs. Yeah, I think he's credited as one of one of the EPs on. I've seen him on the. Is blind. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, he was such an integral. Um, I don't know if he necessarily started out that way, but he became such an integral force on set. And the guy is there's because I like there seemed to be a lot of I mean because there's a danger in the show like oh, when you hear such, the prep that it's going to be super ableist and super like just like dismissive of people who are you know who who are vision impaired and are yeah. but and aren't like limited in their lives or their life is not less and yet I don't get that sense from what I've watched and oh, it, no, in no. fact there's a be- there is such a Almost like a, a, a reverence, like a, a, a beauty around. Like I just yeah. thinking about like um, when well, Ponovic is threatening someone, and even yeah. just the way he's touching the face, I'm like, it's oh, really, yeah. it's it's that way of communicating is just well, stunning. I mean, that's when I was sort of talking about breaking down the barriers. Like you, the way you have to live your life is in such a more sensual way. And obviously, yeah. when Queen Cain, how she prays as a. First I'm not. Sense. I'm not giving that spoiler. That's something you got to <laughs> see to believe. It is. I, I've never seen ro- it. She's in the a script. remarkable oh, actress yeah. as well. Yeah. Whole, like, cause yeah. I mean, so many scenes I've seen where there's the tear going down her cheek, and yeah. I'm like, on one hand, I don't like her because I don't think I'm supposed to, yeah. but I feel for for her. I can feel her turmoil. Yeah. yeah and so she prays in a. S- a, rather, a rather unique way. Yeah, I yeah. get it. Yeah. I get no, it. No spoilers. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. Anyway, so the first the first day I arrived there, I, Joe hands me a, a, a nightshade, puts it on my eyes, hands me a cane, and we start walking down the hall, hmm. and we hear this click 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 of heels, and Joe beside me, I can't see anything. I'm like trying not to walk into the walls. So yeah. He's like, oh hey Gina, and Gina's like, how do you know it's me? And he's like, I, I know your gait. I know mm. the way you walk. I know the exact sound of your heels. You know that's like what the queen says. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing is, you, that's other people are like sort of taking apart the world, but there's if you really, I love that they don't hit you on the head, right? Yeah. Like within the queen's quarters, there's a squeak with the boards, right? Yeah. And so she, the, when you hear those squeaks, she knows who's coming. She knows it's an early alarm system. Yeah. Like this world is thought out. Uh, I love that when she um, when she's insistent too, and she's waiting for something, like she clicks, and then she's like jiggling. Yeah. Whatever. Oh, it's. But that snap is also to let yeah. people know it's echolocation. It's let to know where your hand is, right? Yeah. So if I'm doing this, then you know where to place <sighs> place the thing, right? Like if you do it until, so <clears throat> so you know we worked we worked with Joe a bunch, and then as an actor you just get to play. Yeah. So they released us into this warehouse, and we would work with ropes. You see, there's ropes hanging from all the villages. So we yeah. Would, like, how do we work on those ropes? Um, for me, I wrote a whole backstory for my character, like where I come from. You know, like I, I want to know all that stuff. It's and it's a joy. Yeah. It's like it's where the the fun lives. Like where was I born? What village was I from? Uh, when did I get taken? Yeah. Uh, how did I join Tamakti's army? What were my skills 
you know, like all these, like, how did I yeah. become part of this world? And uh, why do I do what I do? Am yeah. I really bad? Yeah. And yes. so as I, <laughs> yeah. what? No, no, our, our perspective makes sense. So I, no, I honestly, honestly, episode three, because that's where I'm at. And yeah. then your general, I was even, fe- there's that Samakti. interaction between the, the queen and, and the general. And I was just like, I was feel like, I love when I can have empathy for, for where I can see the gray in the characters, yes. yeah. you know, and I can, I can, I can understand and thus forgive, even though I don't have to like it. Well, as the show evolves too, we really start to explore those shades of gray. Yeah. Like as you get in deeper, you'll really see those, you know, everybody sort of lives in a much more gray place, which yeah. is really where we all are. Nobody's bad. Yeah. You know, somebody cut me off in traffic this morning. Uh, that person's not a bad person. My in- immediate instinct, you know, it's funny again with your with with my son. I play a lot of villains and assholes, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and my son's like, this guy's a good guy and this guy's a bad guy, and you know, at at, at that rudimentary level, you know. But the problem is, I feel like so often today we often take it on that guy, you know, yeah. with politics and everything else. And I think the sooner we realize that we're all different flavors and different colors, and we all kind of yeah. have good days and bad days, you know, the sooner that we can treat everyone with civility. Again, I think that's one of the worst things about. I know I keep harping back on it but the social media provides a cloak where you can be woke and and fire off things at people and take yeah. them down where, that you never would do you never would say face. it to their to their face yeah although i did yell at you <laughs> about an hour ago i did i did <laughs> i did yell at you um can we talk a little bit about because i do want to touch on uh dirk as well because we've mm-hmm. had so many dirk people in here and oh, i yes. fucking love dirk gently. you can swear we've been swearing okay. you can fucking swear i, fucking, um, I swear. fucking love dirk gently um i fucking love yeah. dirk gently. like to be a part of that show uh, like it was more definitely one of the highlights of my career yeah i mean because i mean that was like even the way that evil is presented there i was like they're all having so much fun yes. and they look cool and they have scissor swords and that's so oh, rad um but Jay- jason momoa mm-hmm. Is one of us as far as a BC film and TV person who has gone totally. on to be, you know, this like A list. Uh, well, I mean, he's Aquaman. But it's but it's a twenty but, year grind, man. Yeah, he, no, and that's the thing. So his ass. Yeah, and so him as a number one mm-hmm. on the show, like like what what was he like? What do you learn by observing someone like that as well, the number me, one? Let me tell you a little story. <laughs> so I'm in doing my makeup test, and uh, I'm sitting in the chair. And, you know, we're, we're sort of nearing completion halfway, about halfway, three quarters of the way through the door, uh, through the day, rather. And the door blows open. Yeah. And uh, I hear this, who the fuck's sitting in my chair? Oh, God. I'm like, what the? <laughs> Jesus Christ. And, I, and I, I'm like, oh, oh, hey, it's Jason Momoa. And I stand up. I'm like, hey, man. And, you know, I'm not a small guy. I'm 6'2". I'm like 190. Like, you know, I got, I'm, I'm, I'm a good size. And I felt minuscule beside him. I felt like Goldilocks versus, you know, Big Daddy Bear. Is he, he's bigger than Ponovic, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, and he's like, he's like literally twice my width yeah. and, and twice my girth. Like, he's just a, a mountain of a man. And uh, he's like, hey, man, nice to fucking meet you, man. <laughs> Grabs himself a Guinness. <laughs> No word of a lie. Shotguns the Guinness. Just slaps on Metallica, sits down in the chair, is like, get this shit off me. Wow. And I'm like, yep. That's right. That's Jason Momoa. Yeah. But That's I mean, so great. But as a number one, again, like, uh, we were standing, there's uh, one point in January, we're standing beside this Arctic fed river, freezing our fucking asses off. Uh, yeah, not a lot of studio that I've seen so far in the oh, few episodes zero. I've watched. I, everything we shot was outside. <laughs> yeah. You know, 
uh, to beautiful oh, effect. Oh my God. Like when we were shooting in Campbell River, we would leave the hotel in Campbell River. We would drive an hour to the circus and then we would drive another hour and a half to the location. Yeah. Circus is where um, it's it's not that there were t- circus tents with uh, performers. <laughs> circus is like where that's like the big concentration of vehicles, trailers, yeah. makeup, whatever. Yeah. Home um, base. As yeah. It were. Home base. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, you know, I'm sitting there with, you know, this breeze coming down off this Arctic River. I'm sitting there with, like, you know, hot pockets glued to my back being like, oh, damn, I'm cold. Yeah. And then you look over and uh, you've seen a, you got to up three? No. Is it four? Oh. Anyway, there's Jason. Y'all Hall. are about to attack the village. Yes, yes. So this is I'm, what I'm talking about, what happens in four. Um, Jason Momoa literally is diving into this Arctic friggin' water. Okay. Um, and and swimming around in it again and again. They had we had uh, you know your your coolers that you take to the beach for beer. Yeah, they were filled with steaming hot water. So in between takes, he could put his fists in there. Wow. So that he wouldn't get frostbite. So he's doing a lot of his. Oh my god! Like so, as a number sense. one, that that's what you want. There's a guy who's leading by example. The yeah. guy was always generous. He was incredibly kind. Um, for sci-fi nerds out there, I was sitting in the makeup trailer getting my makeup done with him when he uh, got the call about Dune. <laughs> and I'm like Denis Villeneuve is like one of my heroes yeah. Blade Runner 2049 is phenomenal Arrival like everything he's done I'm like oh yeah. so I cannot wait to see his version of Dune that's so great and, and Momoa's like hey you want to see the fucking concept art and, like, and like I, oh okay yeah yeah. twist and, my arm please don't yeah yeah and the <laughs> cast like you know I, I was like man if I were in your shoes I would be on that fucking show in a second yeah. and, and so yeah like it's just it, it's fascinating watching him because he's a grinder he's been grinding for the last 20 years yeah. and now the brass ring's there and, and he's running with it I, again, and he's doing a lot of stuff with integrity as well oh, like, in, yes. and like, his, like yes. in the first episode like I like I they 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 do a haka or like you know mm-hmm. whatever like the six hundred year in the fir- in the future version you know version of, of of that is and I'm like because I know that that's important to him and he speaks out a lot about you know his you know where he comes from and you know and indigenous rights and stuff and I'm like wow like so I know that that was done with integrity that's yes. not just like you know we're 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 adopting something that we we read about you know or we saw in like a, a YouTube viral video like yes. that's yeah. like he's in there and it's important to him and. Thus, it is done with integrity. Well, and I love his performance too. Like I, it, he's really transcending what he is, and he knew this was an opportunity. Like yeah. you know, at the time, you know, maybe things have changed, but at the time, he was like, "This is my favorite role I've ever done. Wow. This is my favorite project I've ever done." Because it's he's not just being the tough guy. Like there's a tenderness, there's a sweetness to what he brings. There's it's a multi layered character. Quiet like, rage yeah. as well. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. So he understands beautiful. what it's like to be a dad. Like yeah. he's getting to be the human he's transcending what his basic appearance is and i mean yeah. that's something for me is i always try to bring to the villainy pieces i always want to like be like where's the three-dimensional where's the gray in this what am i not, I'm not what am i doing this for where does this live yeah. i mean when you were talking about dirk gently um that was an opportunity to twirl the mustache because you so often do not <laughs> get to twirl the mustache yeah. but you know i remember i went in and tiffany mack was casting and uh, I was, you know, I was like, how how much do I lean into this? And she's like, all the way, lean all the way yeah. into this, you know. So I got to like have my evil British accents, yeah. you know. Like I literally did everything except go. <laughs> I think Amanda actually did that though. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> I loved working with her. What a she was. She was such a gift. She, she was, was so terrific good on the show. too. Because you yeah. see her transformation over the second, like the the 
narrative arc of the second season yeah. physically and oh, yeah. and otherwise where the t- yeah. where her honestly if you haven't watched it yet guys like, I, I i highly recommend it it's just you know if 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 you ever feel like the outcast if you ever feel like you're on the outside like if you want to see some great writing yeah that dovetail like yeah i remember being at episode six you're like there's no way they can tie all this madness together and and yet you know yeah um it was pretty funny too another fun story about working with uh ponovic because who was he? He was also on Dirk Gently yeah, yeah. as well. He played yeah. um, Weigar Oak, yep. who was the protector of Lee Majdub's yep. character. Uh, he wasn't Panto. What's his character's name? Silas Dendemore. Yes. 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 Woo! Well, I was standing over Weigar Oak, who's supposed to be dead. Yeah. And I'm delivering my, you know, <laughs> to, uh, uh, to Amanda. And uh, <laughs> I'm feeling this tugging on my pant leg oh. during my whole scene on camera and I'm like trying to kick at Ponovic who's busy like <laughs> smiling his way jerking on my leg yeah yeah <laughs> the guy Ponovic yeah. oh yeah man but again like that guy brings such a great energy and I really think that's and he's a mountain of another mountain of a man yes it's true <laughs> but again like he understands what it's like to be on set and, and when I see these guys who are engaged like and, and want to you know like keep the spirit alive that's again right Momoa was someone who was a bit of a titan on set but at no point was he ever a diva or yeah. like you know I need this or I'm gonna go in my tent like he was always out and about and hanging out with people and, and, yeah. and fighting the good fight along with everybody else yeah right? so like Baba Voss yes um, wow I mean we've been talking for almost an hour and a half now which is remarkable I guess, like, I'd I'd love to. Well, I'd love to hear a little bit about what's next, and I don't mean what are you working on next, or mm. you know, but like, what what do you want now? I mean, you've had some really remarkable experiences. You've done stuff that other people have not done, including narrative podcasts, in, including that the experience of C, you know, which I hope comes back forever and ever. You know, but but like, you know, that the the experience of like learning new things and pushing yourself and and, you know, I'm just I'm I'm wondering, you know, standing at this at this point and Mm -hmm. you can come back in in a while and and we can reflect on this conversation. Um, But, you know, what is it that you that you want from from your career? And I, I say the word career kind of like because I, I did have somebody I had Hiro Kanagawa in here recently he was oh, like, nice. he, like he, he was like he was like pushing away that like the word career you know because it is a life it is a calling it's it's a craft you know so so but so your journey what do you want from this journey next it's tough I mean I think oh, one of my absolute favorite you know it's 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 the Achilles heel of the business but what I love is the next surprise the next mm. thing that I'm auditioning for the next like I have no idea yeah and to have that landscape wide open do you, you know, have a niche at this point like you know I'm looking I'm looking or like do you do you, do you worry about being pigeonholed because no, um, I look at the roles and like I'm, I'm like what's the thread between you know like your Lord Triangle and your Dylan the dude who gets beamed in the head by Jack and <laughs> and then and then uh, this character on C who I don't know why I can't remember his his name which which finder my character which finder Ayura yeah um or, or dude that's always in proximity to which finder Josh Blacker. Yes, yeah, I know. <laughs> but like, but you know, but like, there's all like it's these feel like challenging roles as well. Like they're nuanced. They're they exist in that kind of gray. Well, that's space. What, that's right. I mean, that's what I love. I think I think if we can, you know, be sparking conversations uh, 
you know, I feel like TV is a really exciting medium right now. Like, mm. if you were to ask me, would you rather be in a hit movie or in a hit TV show, I would way rather be on the TV show. Yeah. I think right now, you know, again, with the explosion of podcasts, you know, uh, where we used to watch an interview for five minutes um, and, and, and we could get the barest idea of across, now we can listen to podcasts by, like, uh, Dax Shepard and uh, how did this get made and so there's a lot of comedy and stuff like that but we can also you know uh, when Dax Shepard does like experts on experts you're really listening to people express ideas in a long form way that you just don't get in social media necessarily yeah. and then you know here we've got a whole bunch of new ideas being expressed and, and, and exciting things that are happening and so I think TV is really a medium where we can do a deep dive and really explore characters and, and you know um, I think as C goes on, you you know, we, we, we paint with broad colors in the pilot. You're like, yep, this guy's this guy and this guy's this guy and this guy. Um, but then as the show evolves, you really start to like get a nuance. You get to understand. And, and, and I think that's exciting for society in general. I think that's we're, we're at a place in society where complex ideas need to be heard, you know. And when you watch what's sort of happening down south, there's just mudslinging and um, my team versus your team. And, and that doesn't help anyone. Yeah. That's, we're all in this together. We need to figure out a way to fight together. Yeah. Um, sorry, I know I'm up on my pedestal here. But, <laughs> but in terms of like career, I mean, I, I, I enjoy playing these darker characters because I, th- I feel like they're true to me. Like I have those big feelings. And, you know, when I was talking about suppressing those big feelings, you know, when I was, it took me a long time. And I want to give a big shout out to uh, Ben Ratner, um, who I studied oh. with for a decade. And and he really changed the game for me. I, I You know, I really had to... Uh, fight to open my heart back up yeah. after I'd learned to close it off, you know, and I, I remember coming to acting and, you know, uh, I had pre- preconceptions of maybe like playing it cool. Cool is how you do it, yeah. you know, and Ben really taught me that the, the moments in life that are that are truly lived and worth watching are not cool moments. They're heartbreaking moments. They're yeah. moments of joy. Nobody's like, look how cool I am. How's this angle? You know, <laughs> like it's 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 about living truly so that you can inspire other people to live in a more true fashion. And so, um, I, I don't know, like I, I definitely feel like I'm just getting started and I, and I want to, there's so much more I want to do. Like yeah. I'm excited for my body of work, but I, I think I'm just scratching the surface yeah. of where I want to go. All right. Well, we will continue to, to watch you and, Thank uh, you. and listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my gosh, a Christian Sloan, thank you so much for, for coming in today. No, you say you're not big on the social media, but where can our fans find you on the social media? Uh, please follow me on Instagram. I find that, uh, uh, pictures are hard to get mad at. Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm not, people like, still do it though. Oh, I know, but <laughs> uh, you're always going to have haters. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, just please follow me at Christian Sloan. I generally tend to like be as, uh, open as I'm going to be. I pull back the curtain as much as I can yeah. on, on there. Yeah, and uh, pay attention to the Fish Flight Entertainment Network because I do. think you're going to be hearing Christian's voice <laughs> again in the future. Very soon. Very <laughs> Throw a little Dr. Strand in Oh, there. my gosh. Okay, yeah, and we will talk about all my feelings about Dr. Strand. Uh, once we wrap here, to you, our fans, I say thank you. Please like and subscribe. Leave us a review if you are so inclined. 
All of those reviews help us find even more listeners. And you can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVR Screen Scene. Positivity only. The YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Firminger. And it's edited by Simon Firminger. We give special thanks to Tyson Braddock and Paul Firminger, our family business, for technical support. And to Dane Develay for the original music. YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut. <laughs>